If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to go to the book of Acts in your New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four Gospels, and then you get the book of Acts. And if you're needing a Bible, there's some of the chairs there around you. Page 729 uh, is where you're going to go. Page 729. Acts chapter 20. Now, um, I had preached through the book of Acts back, I think it was 2017 and 18. Last time the book of Acts came up in our reading plan, Russ preached because all of those verses there, I had preached through and you need to hear different perspectives. So I was almost going to do that this time because I, if I remember correctly, everything this week was book of Acts. But I went back through the, uh, the sermons from book of Acts and I didn't preach on this part of it. Um, I started getting bigger chunks as we went toward the end of the book of Acts, and this is one of those where I think I covered two whole chapters in one sermon, and so I was just selecting a certain set of that chapter. So we're going to pick a different chapter, uh, a different part of the chapter this morning. And uh, we're almost done with this reading plan, so um, we'll be getting word out to you here in the next couple weeks. Um, we are going to do another reading plan come January. It'll be the F260 reading plan, but the New Testament version. So it'll take you in 260 days, so the same format, five days a week, um, an average of two chapters a day. But it'll take you through the New Testament at that pace. Which will help quite a bit as we're starting to do the book of Romans or the letter to the Romans in January. So as you're reading, a lot of that's going to be giving you background uh, as you read through the book of Acts again. And we're going through Romans. As you read some of other letters, you're going to start to see some similarities. And it'll be a, it'll be a good thing, I think. So, All right, here's a question this morning for you. Um, have you ever had a moment um, where you wish you get to the end of it, whatever it is, and you wish you had done it better? Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe you're laughing. I, I, you've already got stuff in mind, right? But uh, maybe, maybe it's a workout and you get to the end of the workout and you're going, I could have pushed that workout harder. But you were conserving throughout the workout because you weren't sure. But then you get to the end and you're going, I could have pushed that harder. Uh, maybe it's a project or an assignment for school and, and you're coming up against a deadline. And so you start to, to rush it a little bit and you're not putting all the work in that you could. And, and you're not really doing it with the, 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 the level of excellence that you know you can, but you're just trying to get the assignment. Done. Then you get it done and you realize, I could have done that better. I could have spent more time on that. I could have planned ahead a little better. And I could have worked, worked on that a little longer, right? Maybe it's something like that where you're looking back. Maybe it's you've sat next to someone's bedside as they were nearing the end of their life. And this person was either expressing or you could tell that they regretted some things in their life. You ever had moments like this where, where you, you wish you had done things better? You had regrets about how you did it and the things that you did not do. You know, when we, we read these verses this morning, Acts chapter 20, we're going to pick up with the Apostle Paul. And Paul's going to be saying goodbye to some friends. He's going to be saying goodbye to some friends in a town called Ephesus that he had spent quite a bit of time with. And in this goodbye, you're going to see that Paul has no regrets. He's sorrowful about the goodbye, but he has no regrets in saying goodbye. Wouldn't it be great to figure out how do, I, how do I live my life in such a way where I have no regrets about the impact I've made on people's lives? That, that I can look back at the end of this period of time or this, these couple of weeks that I had with them or this lifetime that I had with them, and I can look back and I say, I did everything I could to live a life of consequence. 
a life that makes an impact that really matters and lasts, a consequential life. That's what we're going to see this morning. And Paul's going to be describing his time with just this group of people. And, and, and we're going to find out that a, a life of consequence is one lived in faithful obedience to the Lord. How do you live a consequential life? A life of consequence? One that makes an impact that really matters and that lasts. It's when you live your life in faithful obedience to the Lord. And we're going to pull out, what does that look like then? What does it look like to live our life in faithful obedience to the Lord? And we're going to pull a few things out of these verses in Acts uh, that we hear from Paul. And the first one we're going to pull out is, a life of consequence serves the Lord. Serves the Lord. So, so look with me now. We're going to go to Acts chapter 20 and verse 17 is where we're going to start. Okay, so Paul... From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So he's, he's, he's at this location called Miletus. He called, it's nearby the, the town of Ephesus, but he calls the elders of Ephesus. Hey, come meet me here. Okay? Verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And we're going to stop there for a minute because I'm going to break, break it out verse, each verse at a time. So, you yourselves know how I lived among you. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. Because if Paul had not lived well among them, they would be going, yeah, we remember. And, and you've had these experiences too where, where you look back on your time spent with someone. Maybe you had a roommate for a period of time or, or maybe someone uh, spent a week of vacation or two weeks of vacation with you and they bring that back up and they say, do you remember that, that, that time I spent with you? And you're going, yeah, I remember that time. And in your mind you're going, I'm glad we're past it. Right? I mean, that could be a, a, really, a really awkward moment if Paul's life is not going to measure up. He says, you, you know how I lived among you. But Paul has a confidence here. He says, you know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. So he's going, from the time you met me to the time I was in the region that you live in all the way to now, you know how I've lived my life. Now they know, but we don't know. So Paul, how did you live your life when you were among these people? Look at verse 19. He tells us in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So, so Paul says, when I was among you, you know I lived my life in a way that was serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. See, Paul's way of living was not centered around serving himself, which is what we naturally do. Right? If we're, if we're living with people or we're living among people or we have relationships, what comes naturally to us, and I'm not using natural in a good positive way, by the way. I'm using natural to mean us as we are impacted by sin, apart from the help of the Spirit, the supernatural. So what we are in our natural selves, what's natural to us is to manipulate. What's natural to us is, is to get from you what I need from me first. Then I might meet your needs. Then I might reciprocate. But what we do in our natural is we live our lives oriented around ourselves. That's natural. So when someone comes along and their life is not oriented primarily around themselves, but around the Lord, that's supernatural. That's the Spirit at work. And Paul says, I live my life among you serving the Lord. Not serving myself. He doesn't even say serving you, which he did. 
But it starts with, the reason I served you was because I was serving the Lord. And he, he describes this situation, he says, with all humility. And, and, and humility is one of those things that, that when Paul uses it, he, he understands humility from a greater standpoint. Think about Paul's life experience. You're on a pathway. You're at the top of your game in that field. You're rising to the top in this career field. or You're a well-respected member of society. That's who Paul was. You can read his list of accomplishments in Philippians chapter 3, where he'll go through and he'll say, hey, in this Jewish community, here's, here's all the boxes that I checked. I was, I was from this tribe, which is prominent, just like the first king of Israel was from this tribe. I, I, was, I was part of this party, this religious party, which was also a political party. They, they merged those two. They weren't separate like ours are. Right? And he was part of the Pharisees, which was a, a party that was well-respected teacher of the law. He was a well-respected teacher of the law. He was, he was discipled by one of the leading uh, um, um, rabbis of the time, Gamaliel. Right? He's going through his list, and, and he was on this path. So zealous was he on the path that he was on was that he was so zealous that when this movement popped up called The Way, this group of people who were following Jesus and his teachings, he saw it as a threat to this Jewish faith. And like anybody who is zealous to protect their faith, he went after members of this movement, The Way. And he did so with great zeal and the approval of the government and the high councils. And he put to death some. He approved others be put to death. He imprisoned some. He separated families. All in the name of zeal. And then, on the way to do that some more, Jesus reveals himself to Paul on that road. And Paul, also known as Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Can you imagine now, I mean, you, 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 you might be familiar with that story. If not, Acts chapter 9 will, will give you the story. Can you imagine being that man and now you're having to eat everything you've been doing for the last couple of years? You're having to live with being the person who separated families. And now he is a person who is not, not, not opposing Jesus, but he, he's not persecuting. He's preaching Jesus. He, he's completely flipped. Can you imagine the level of humility that it takes to completely change directions? That's not a natural humility. That's a humility that comes when encountering the Lord. And understanding and encountering the Lord who He is, and then who I am, and my need for what He has for me that He provides through Jesus. That's a level of humility that we cannot manufacture. I mean, I can, I can make myself look humble. I can say things that sound humble. But humility that Paul's talking about is the life of a person who has been brought way low. And he realizes his utter dependence upon the Lord. And then that's a humility that continues to get produced and grown in us because it's, it's something the Spirit produces in us. So he says, I serve the Lord with all humility. He wasn't pompous. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't proud or boastful in the way that he was doing it with humility. And he says, and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul is saying, when I came to you, I was fleeing from being persecuted. And listen, here's, here's what we've got to understand about Paul. Paul has no concept that a follower of Jesus will be without trials. Without sorrow, tears, 
followers of Jesus, we will experience most everything that everyone else experiences in this world. Sorrow, loss, sickness, death. We will experience, if we are living out our faith in a hostile environment, we will experience trials at the hands of other people as our faith is being persecuted or pressured to, for us to back down. Paul said, that's how I came to you. Paul, right? This is like super believer in Jesus, Paul, right? How did it look to live a consequential life? It looked like serving the Lord. It was a life that was oriented, that was centered around not myself, not someone else, but first and foremost, the Lord. And then from there, everything else flowed. A life of consequence declares the word of the Lord. So we're going to keep going. A life of consequence declares the word of the Lord. Look at verse 20. He says, remember he's talking about how he came with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Verse 20 says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Paul says, even though that was the situation, that I came to you under pressure, under persecution. And, and if you read through the book of Acts, you read about some of the stuff that happened in Ephesus. It was in Ephesus that a riot broke out and, and the government officials were concerned about this riot. And so even though uh, Paul wasn't the one who started this riot, Paul's the one who gets taken into prison because he was viewed as a an instigator, right? And, and, and then some of his friends get, get taken in. But Paul says, I came to you with that, and I lived among you with that going on, and yet I did not shrink back from declaring anything that was profitable to you. I did, not, I did not hold back anything because it might get me in trouble. I did not hold back anything because if word got out that I was teaching this, then I might, I might find myself in hot water. I did not hold anything back because it might offend you. But instead, I gave you what was profitable. I didn't hold anything back that was profitable for you. And Paul is looking at their deeper needs Right? And he's, he's not just looking at their outward physical needs, and though he certainly was aware of those kind of things, but Paul says, when I declared to you, and I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the things of the Lord, I was declaring to you things that you needed to hear. They were good for you. I didn't withhold anything. Now, let me ask you, we've said this before, right? If you, if you have what you sincerely believe is the Word of God... Obviously, I believe that, but I'm, we're going hypothetical now. If you, if you have that, because let's say you're talking to someone who does not share that belief, right? Yeah, they don't share the belief that these 66 books and letters are divinely inspired by God. They don't share that belief. They think this is just a collection of literature that has some inspirational things in it. And if you read it, you might be better for reading it. They might, might believe that. But you sincerely believe that you have been given the word of God. And in that word, it tells you who God is and who we are and what this God expects and requires of us, what this God has done for us, and, and, and what's available to us in Christ. If you have that, but you withhold it because you think it might offend someone, or you withhold it because you find yourself to be in an environment where that will be against the popular teaching or beliefs. You're not doing what's profitable for the people that you're ministering to. You're doing them harm. You're not giving them what they need. It's like, this is very cliche, but it makes the point. 
oh wait, wait, we're in a situation like this right now, where there's a disease like that's just, you know, going across the world, and and apparently there's no there's no there's no cure for this, but there might be a vaccine, right? By the way, there's no political statements. I'm not telling you whether I support or endorse a vaccine or not. I'm just telling you the situation, right? So there's this vaccine, and the vaccine is being pushed as the cure. And what if we get the cure, and then all of a sudden the government says, no, we're going to hold on to this cure? Does that cure benefit the people in that in that that area that that they, that government rules over? Or if you're the one who's the keeper of that cure and you say, no, I'm going to just keep it to myself, it makes me feel good to have this cure. It makes me feel good that I, that I know if I get sick, I can have it. But then you don't share that with someone. Is that beneficial to them? Okay, I, I think I made my point. Again, no political statements. You can ask me later about my opinions. All right. Um, Paul says, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And he says, I taught you in public and I taught you in private. See, teaching in private is probably easier, house to house, you know, because churches meet, met in houses. They were house churches. But he also taught them in public, synagogues on the Sabbath, public squares, and in front of leaders and rulers. He said, I didn't shrink back. A life of consequence does not shrink back. It declares the word of the Lord. A life of consequence serves the Lord. It's oriented around the word, and therefore it declares the word of the Lord. With your life, the way you live, and with your words when you have opportunity. Who are the people that you are interacting with? Who are the people in your family? Who are the people in, in your neighborhood? I, just, I know, I know. Rogers, Mr. Uh, um, no, is that Mr. Rogers or is that Sesame Street? It's Rogers. Yeah, okay. Oh, and, 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 so, and so who are these people that you need to be declaring the word of the Lord to? And I don't mean in, a, in, a, in a, a, an obnoxious way, but you need to seek opportunity. You need to pray for opportunity to be able to speak to people about who God is and what he's revealed. And it may be about the gospel initially or not. Okay, did you hear that? You don't necessarily have to start with the gospel. You may be starting with other things where people are because you should be meeting people where they're at. That's how people know you hear them, love them, care for them, see them as a person. Is you start where they're at, not where you want them to be. Right? So, so maybe they're asking questions because someone in their, their life is sick or, or is dying or, or they've experienced a, a crisis of conscience of some kind. Meet them in that. Does the word of God speak to that? Is there hope that you can offer them that? Does God help them understand the world that they're living in? Meet them there. And as you continue those conversations, pray that the Lord would give you those opportunities to speak and declare the gospel. But don't shrink back. A life of consequence declares the word of the Lord. All right, verse 21, he goes on. Verse 21. He says, I didn't shrink back. I taught you publicly in a house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, this is, this is what I think Paul's saying. He's testifying. He's telling people. He's telling both Jews and non-Jews the same message. Repentance toward God and a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we need to talk about these for a minute. Repentance and faith. These are not two steps. I hope you have heard me say this before. Repentance and faith, not two steps. And when the Bible talks about repentance, there's two different contexts for repentance. And if we confuse them, we mess up people's lives. We mess up our lives. 
Okay? Oftentimes what we think about when we talk about repentance is being sorry for my sin and changing my behaviors. And so many of you maybe have grown up where, where you had a preacher saying um, you need to repent of your sins and come to the Lord Jesus. And, and what's implied or what's at least received in that communication is I need to change my behavior first Stop doing whatever it is I'm doing, whatever bad habits, whatever sinful lifestyle. Stop doing that and instead come to the Lord. That's a confusion of repentance. Okay? We don't tell people, clean up your life, act like a Christian, and come to the Lord. We don't do that. You can't tell someone to act like a Christian before they have the Spirit. It's just you're teaching them to behave like a Christian while inwardly they're corrupt and they're sin-ridden. You, you don't tell people, change your behavior and then come to the Lord because God never says that to us. But, but Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were in rebellion, Jesus died for us. God didn't wait for us to clean up our lives. That's a confusion of repentance. If you talk about repentance in that way and you link it up with salvation, you're leading people astray and possibly leading them down the path to hell, all the while thinking that they're a believer. But all they've done is modified their behavior. Okay? Repentance, though, when it's used in the context of salvation, is, is, is a, it's a change of mind about what you think. That's the basic meaning of repentance. I'm changing my mind about what I think. When the biblical authors, and in this case Luke, uses repentance, he's talking about changing what you're currently worshiping, changing your mind about what you're currently worshiping, and then turning to Jesus. So the repentance is seen in this. I'm currently worshiping idols, or I'm currently rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. My repentance is I change my mind about that. I turn from that, and then in turning from that, you turn to something else. That's faith. Okay, because you can't turn from one thing and, and turn the opposite direction and not turn to something. You're turning to something else. That's faith. Repentance and faith. Oftentimes it's coupled together by saying repent and believe. Now listen, there are some books in the New Testament that, like for instance the Gospel of John, will never mention repentance. Never. Believe. Always believe. Um, Luke, in his Gospel and in the book of Acts, sometimes he'll talk about believing. Like, um, there's one part where there's a, a jailer, I think he's in Philippi, and, and he asks Paul, he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul does not say, repent and believe. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But then there's other times where in Luke, we, we, in the book of Acts, we see Luke telling us about repentance and believing. Right? So if, if the author is using both, it's not two steps, it's two sides of the same coin. I repent and I believe in repenting. Okay? It's not two steps, it's important. And I'm not, I'm not cleaning up my life. That repentance is not me cleaning up my life, that's me changing my mind about what I've believed and now and putting that in faith in Christ. Now, the other repentance comes in as a believer. Someone who has the Spirit. And then I sin continuously in my, my life as a believer. It happens. And so I should be repenting continuously for my sin. So when I'm aware that I have lied, I should repent of that lying. I should change my behavior. I should, Lord, help me to not lie but to speak the truth. Or I make a sinful choice and I'm living my life in a sinful way. And, and, and I, I, I repent of that by saying, Lord, help me not to live in that way but instead to desire the things of you. I, I change my behavior. That's the context for that kind of repentance. As a believer who's already been accepted in Christ, but who is in process. 
Sometimes Luke uses faith. Sometimes he uses repentance. Sometimes he uses both. But what Luke is trying to capture is when Luke uses faith, he means the kind of faith that includes repentance, like I just described. So don't get messed up by that. And it's the same message to Jews and Greeks, and Jews and non-Jews. All right. All right, a life of consequence. It was declaring the word of the Lord. Now we see a life of consequence submits to the Spirit. Submits to the Spirit. Look with me at verse 22. And now, Paul says, Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. I'm going to go ahead and go to verse 23. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul's living a life that is in submission to the Spirit. Paul says, listen, I'm going back to verse 22. I'm going to Jerusalem. Paul's made a lot of enemies at this point. A lot of his enemies, their home is in Jerusalem. Paul's headed to Jerusalem. He says, I'm constrained by the Spirit. That's some strong language, isn't it? I'm controlled, I'm constrained, I'm bound by the Spirit. Like, the, the Spirit is, 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 is giving me no choice. I have to go to Jerusalem. I know this is where the Spirit is leading me. Paul's very confident of this. I'm not sure what's going to happen to me when I get there. All I know is that the Holy Spirit keeps testifying me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And Paul is still going. Because a consequential life is one that is submitted to the Spirit. It is one that, that is in tune with the Spirit. And, and by the way, when we talk about the Spirit, the Spirit is a person, not a force, not an it. And I know we slip up sometimes and we say it and we don't really mean that, but I just, I'm going to hammer it every time I get a chance. The Spirit is a person. He is not a force. He's not an it. The Scriptures speak of the Holy Spirit as He, just like God is He and Jesus is he. And, and that's not a patriarchal uh, thing, by the way. It's just That's how the scriptures speak of God because that's how God has revealed himself to us. Right? But there are other places, by the way, for men and women in the room where God describes himself as a nursing mother caring for his babies. So, so don't get hung up on the pronouns. You guys probably wouldn't, but maybe people you interact with might. Right? But the Holy Spirit is a he. We talk about God and we talk about the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three are God, equal as God, different in persons. Okay? So he says, the Holy Spirit testifies to me. Paul is aware, he's in tune, he, he knows the way the Spirit speaks to him. Is that audible? Is that an impression? Is that through gifts of prophecy for others? You'll see that in chapter 21, um, and then there's other places. But Paul is aware that when I go to these cities, the Spirit tells me that this is what awaits me. Now, Spirit speaks in a lot of different ways. Obviously, this is one of them. As we read the Word of God, we ask the Lord to help us to understand the Word of God. Let your Spirit help me to understand what I'm reading and how it applies to me. That's called, we call that illumination. The Spirit helps us, He illumines, He shines light on the Word of God. But the Spirit speaks in other ways also. And it's different for all of us. And as we read about the way the Spirit speaks in Scriptures, and when we went through the book of Acts, I tried to point a lot of this out. It's like a person speaking. 
And, and some of you have had different experiences. You, you've had impressions where you felt like, I need to do this. And, and you could pass it off and explain it in a very natural way and just say, oh, well, I knew their situation and I knew if I gave them this money it would be beneficial. And so I was just overwhelmed with compassion. You could explain it away. Or it could be the Spirit was burdening you with that person in that moment. Um, there's one time in my life where, where I can tell you that, that experience. Uh, Lindsay and I were down in Sugarland visiting. Her family lives in Humble. We were down in Sugarland where we used to live, and I was visiting with a previous pastor, and she was visiting with... Where she goes? She's not in here. I keep pointing back there. She's not in there. Okay. Um, and she was visiting with a friend, and um, I was driving good to go pick her up, and I had this... Call it impression. Call it a... You can call it a thought if you want. I don't, I, it was a strong thought. And I thought, you know what? If she asks me... For us to give money to this couple, we're going to give money. And in my mind, I thought, $500. Let's just give $500, if she asks. She gets in the car, and we're starting to drive away. And she said, buddy, because she calls me buddy. She's not talking to someone else in the car, it's me. Buddy, what would you think about us giving them some money? I said, okay. And she gave me the details, and I said, what was your number? What were you thinking? She goes, $500? Okay, U-turn, let's go find an ATM. Now, I, that was, for me, that was a moment where very clearly, when I, when I put those together, I'm going, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to believe that was the Spirit. Right? I mean, you, you, can, you can tell me that was just a, oh, it was just a thought you had because you might know their situation. It was a Spirit to me. You know, and there's been a few other occasions where I can say I felt something like that was like, text this person. Just check in with them. I didn't know the details. Text this person. And you get a text back, thanks so much for texting me. You have no idea what I was about to do. I've got texts like that. You have no idea what I was about to do. Right? The Spirit speaks in those ways. Uh, other ways you might experience the Spirit speaking, as you read through the book of Acts, you see Paul's describing it like the Spirit's just telling him. Maybe you, you hear something. Maybe you, maybe you see something. Maybe someone says something to you and say, they say like this. They say, I think the Lord might be telling me. And maybe they're, they're too strong in the way they say it, and they say something like, the Lord told me to tell you, and you're kind of turned off by that. You know, turn, turn your dial down if that's the case, and just go, okay, I don't like the way they said that. It was a little too strong. It sounds like you're presuming upon the Lord. Okay, but maybe the Lord is speaking to them about you. Ask yourself, what did they share with me? Should I look into that? Is it something that goes against the scriptures? If it goes against the scriptures, it's not the Lord. Does it go against the character of God? It's not the Lord. Right? It's usually going to be a word of encouragement of some kind. Uh, it's going to usually be something that's going to, going to uh, maybe nudge you towards something. If it is, then you say, okay, Lord, if that's from you, help me to see that. Help me to understand that. And you pray about it. Right? That, that's how you, you handle some of, some of these things where maybe you might feel uncomfortable. But a, but a life of consequences, one that's submitted to the Spirit, it's a life that's led in the Spirit. Paul will speak about that so often in his letters. He'll say, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. So how do I live like a Christian? I don't do it in my own strength. I do it in the strength of the Spirit. Galatians 5. He'll say in Ephesians 5, hey, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? So, so how do I, and then he's going to go on and talk about how we relate to one another in some key relationships like marriage and, and like, um, well, it was slave and owner. A lot of times we'll talk about it as an employer and employee. That's kind of softening the blow a little bit. But, but it, it's, he, he'll talk about these, these key relationships and how do I relate? How do I do this? Oh, I'm not drunk with wine. I'm not under the control of alcohol. I'm under the control of the Spirit. A life of consequence is one that is submitted, surrendered to the Spirit. 
A life of consequence values the gospel above all. Look at verse 24. But I do not account my life. Remember, he's just said, I'm going to Jerusalem. Spirit told me I'm going to be in prison and afflicted. He says in verse 24, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul does not value his life above the gospel. He values the gospel above his life. He says, yeah, the Spirit keeps telling me. The Spirit keeps telling me. When I get there, this is what awaits me. But I don't account my life as anything. What I value more highly is finishing my course, the ministry that I receive from the Lord. What is that ministry, Paul? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That is more important to me than what awaits me. A life of consequence values the gospel above all else, which means there are going to be times where as you are submitted to the Spirit and you're following the Lord and you're living a life that is shaped, influenced, and impacted by the gospel, it will, it will lead you to do things that may bring physical harm if you're in, a, in an area where that's the case. We have lots of brothers and sisters across the world who that is the case. It may mean you lose some relationships. It may mean you lose a job or don't get the job that you're wanting. And it might come at great cost. And the question you've got to ask is, do I value the gospel over this? Because a life of consequence values the gospel above all. Above all. He goes on in verse 25. And he says this, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So he's telling these elders from Ephesus, I'm not going to see you again. I'm not going to see you again. This is a goodbye. Okay, this is a goodbye. I'm not going to see you again. You're not going to see me again. Which then leads us into our last, last thing we're going to pull out of here. A life of consequence leaves no regret. He says in verse 26, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Verse 27. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We've heard that before, haven't we? That's how he started. That's how he's ending. A life of consequence leaves no regret because Paul's able to say, I am innocent of the blood of all. In other words, what he's saying is, there is, there is nothing that I held back among you, among the people uh, here. I have, I have given my fullest effort to testifying to the grace of God, to proclaiming the kingdom of God. He, he says it two different ways that we saw in those two different verses. His ministry was to proclaim the grace of God in the gospel and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he says, I didn't hold anything back. Therefore, I am innocent of the blood. No one can point to me and say, Paul, you didn't tell me. Paul, why, when we had dinner that night, Paul, why didn't you say something? He said, I did everything that I could. How do you live a life where you can say, I'm innocent? Of the blood. Now you might not say it that way. It sounds pretty, pretty crass, right? Pretty morbid. But you might say, I have no regrets. Right? Maybe it's a season of life where you have a roommate and then now you're you're moving out and you're going, Did I do everything that I could? Doesn't mean every waking moment was spent trying to have gospel conversations, but did my life live down? Was it faithfully obedient to the Lord? Did I take the opportunities that the Lord gave me to communicate and talk in those conversations? Did I hold back because I was concerned that it might cause some rifts in the relationship? How do you live a life where you can say, I have no regret? It's a life of consequence. 
How do you get to the end of your life and you're looking back in your last few moments and, and you're able to say, I, I did everything I could. A life of consequences, one lived in faithful obedience to the Lord. Two, two things. One, parents, grandparents. This is weighty. But there's going to be a time where our kids are not going to be in the house. They're going to grow older. Hopefully they're not going to be in the house. <laughs> right? They're going to grow older. <laughs> She's making faces up here. like <laughs> um, uh, she, So your kids are not going to be in the house. 18, 19, they're going off for college. Your relationship's going to change. The time spent with them is going to change. How do you get to that spot? I'm speaking to me. As well, how do we get to that spot and say, I have no regrets? I'm innocent of the blood of whatever. And it's not that your relationship's ended and that you never have a conversation again, but you know it's decidedly going to be different. Have I done everything I can as they leave the nest? How do I get to that spot? You live a life of consequence and faithful obedience to the Lord. You serve the Lord in your parenting, in your life, in your home. You, you declare the word of the Lord. You don't shrink back. You declare the word of the Lord. Right? You live a life that's submitted, surrendered to the Spirit. Right? These are the kinds of things that will that, help you get to the end of that season of life and be able to look back and say, I've done everything I can to prepare them. And Lord, I trust you with them. And then you continue relationship, of course. You know, now you're more like friends, you know, adult to adult, you know, stuff like that. That's a big one. And then the other one will be as we live our lives. How do we get to the end of our life? How do we help others get to the end of their life and be able to look back and say, I have no regrets? I, and it's not like, did you get to do everything on your bucket list? I mean, good if you get to, but that, that's, no, that's not a life of consequence. A life of consequence is one that really matters. <laughs> it makes an impact that lasts for eternity. Not just for the here and now. How do I get to the end of my life? I live a life of consequence. And maybe you're sitting there, you're going, well, I haven't been doing that lately, or there's some areas where I need to improve in that. That's fine. Start now. Right? Start, start now. Lord, help me to change my course. If there's some things that, that I need to repent of, God, help me to repent of those things, to see my error, and then put me on the path that's right. Help me to be obedient to you, Lord, now. Help me to see each moment, each day, each week. And I know, easier said than done, which is why, Lord, help me. Can't do it on my own. I can't. I'll get consumed by stuff. I'll shift my focus to me. I'll stop serving the Lord and start serving me. Lord, how do I, how do I live in faithful obedience to you? So uh, I've got this up because, again, we want to hear from you as you respond. You can take your phone out and put your camera on it to open it up. Or if you have a bulletin on the backside, we have one of those as well. Um, for some of you this morning, as you're con considering your life, you're going, I don't think I'm on a path that's living, going to be living my life in a way that makes a difference like what I hear you talking about, Justin. I don't think I'm living a consequential life. Maybe a good life, maybe an okay life. But consequential, that seems kind of strong. Maybe... This morning, what the Lord wants you to hear from Him is that your life right now is oriented around you. And it was never designed to be that way. You were never designed to do that. He created you for His glory. All of God's creation is for His glory. 
So if you're living your life centered around you, that's rebellion against God, the one who's created you for His glory. And so perhaps this morning the Lord's showing you that. And, and what he's doing is calling you to, just like Paul talked about, repent and place your faith in Christ. Repent and believe. Stop centering your life around you and turn from that. And as you turn to trust in Christ, what he's done for you. Because, listen, God, God's love was shown to us in the death of Christ. I know it seems like such a, a horrible event. And it was. And it was absolutely necessary. For people who are in rebellion against their God, the only just punishment is condemnation. And God would be absolutely just to condemn all of his creation. And yet he doesn't. Instead, he came in, in, in the form of Christ and he lived a life of perfect, faithful obedience to God. The life that we're supposed to live but can't. Jesus did it. And then he went and he died a death in place of people who are actively rebellion against God. You might say to yourself, yeah, I don't, like, I don't think every day I'm going to figure out how I can you know, give God the finger or, or how I can just you know, tell God that I don't want what he has. You, know, you, you know, probably don't think that. A lot of people might, but you probably don't, right? But maybe this morning you're realizing, but the way I live my life, the way I live my life, reflects an act of rebellion against God because I'm not choosing things of God, I'm choosing things of me. And Jesus died the death that your rebellion deserves. He took the judgment for the sin that you continuously commit. So that you, as you believe in Christ, would not have to take the wrath of God toward your sin. But instead that was placed on Jesus and now God is free to give you life because when Jesus died, he also then rose from the dead to a new type of life. And now God is able to give you that life, that righteousness that Jesus himself has earned. That Jesus himself, in faithfully obeying, met the requirements. And now God gives that to you and can treat you and think of you as righteous because you are in Christ. You've believed in him. Maybe for some of you that's what God's calling you to this morning. If so, let us know. That first question will ask you that. Or find one of us after the service. Or maybe there's a next step that you feel like the Lord's asking you to work on. Let us know that so we can pray with you on that. Or maybe there's some resources that you're looking for. Or maybe there's some prayer requests. You can let us know all of that there. Let's let that uh, sit on us for a moment. Ask the Lord, what do you have for me today? God, help me to hear you speak to me through your word today. Let your spirit show me today what you're saying to me. Let's ask him. Speak to me. In this time, may your thoughts become mine. Open my eyes so I can see all that really matters to me. Please, Jesus, speak to me. moment let your heart speak to mine please remove all the distractions that cloud my human mind and speak to me
that you're speaking, that your spirit is showing us in your word the life that Paul lived and then showing us our lives, shining light on it, that we might see areas where we need to submit to the spirit, areas where we need to declare the word of the Lord, areas where, where we need to, to, to be more faithfully obedient to you. And we need to do that in the power of the spirit, not just in our own strength and just going and doing it. So God, would you um, make that clear? And then by your grace, help us to follow through and your spirit empower us to live lives that don't come naturally to us. And then God, as a, as a, as a church, as Houston Church in the community, here God, help us to be a church that's more centered around you than we are people. Who seeks to serve you and bring you glory and all the things we talked about that, that make a life of consequence. Help, help us to be a church of consequence. A group of people gathering together, worshiping the Lord, who also live together lives of consequence. And so that it can be said of Houston Church, not for our glory, but for yours. That's a church that leads a consequential life, that does consequential things. It makes an impact that matters and lasts. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll see you guys next week if you're around.